She told them that this was a bad game. Welcome to 10 Minutes in the Dark, a short story podcast featuring works written and read by me, Don L. Hess. Some of these tales may disturb, some may amuse, but I hope all of them will entertain. This one's called, This One is Slow. Nell had been a mother long enough to spot and put an end to sneaks. But maybe that was why she almost missed the matches. Ray wasn't trying at all to hide the big red box of diamond kitchen large strikes in his hand. He even paused to open it right in front of her and count how many were inside. That was how she noticed what he was doing. Where do you think you're going with those? she asked. He stopped one foot out the door, and looked back at her with a concerned, almost pitying expression. It was the same look the neighbors and her cousins had given her father when his Alzheimer's had first set in. Outside, he told her. To do what? Start a fire? He turned to face his mother and spoke in the voice of someone trying and failing to be very patient. I don't think so. Nell waggled her fingers at her son. With a sigh, he deposited the matches in her outstretched palm. Why on earth do you need a fire, she asked. It's eighty degrees out. (sighs) For the witch, Ray said, the patience now gone from his tone. What? Nell came to the door and looked past her son into their backyard. The trampled lawn, beaten almost to dust by the sneakers of children playing kickball or tag, was empty. On the other side of the chain-link fence, though, where the goods had erected basketball goals on either side of their wide concrete driveway, the rest of the neighborhood children were gathered. Lydia Good was tied with a rubber garden hose to one of the goalposts. There were sticks and wadded newspapers piled at her feet. What are you kids playing? It's a trial, mother. Ray was only 11 years old, but he packed 16 years' worth of sarcasm into his tone. Come with me, Nell said. The other children scampered as soon as they saw her emerge from the back door. Lydia turned to look at Nell and Ray over her shoulder and smiled as they approached. Nell opened the gate between the two yards and hurried to the girl. Are you okay, Lydia? Hi, Mrs. Newton, the girl said. I'm fine. Raymond, untie Lydia right now. But she's guilty. This is not a game, Raymond. Do as I say. She has to be punished. Someone is going to be punished, but it isn't Lydia. Raymond scowled. Especially if I have to ask you a third time, Nell added. Ray gave her a glare fit to singe her eyebrows, but he did as she asked. As soon as the girl was free, she brushed at the dirty lines crisscrossing her shirt where the hose had muddied her, and then she stepped over the kindling. Are you okay, honey? Nell asked. Sure. Nell put a hand on the girl's shoulders and tilted her chin up to look into the child's wide blue eyes. She wasn't sure what she was looking for. Trauma? Fear? But she saw only mild amusement. Lydia was nearly two years Ray's junior, but she seemed far older. What do you have there? Nell asked. Lydia held up a G.I. Joe doll, its clothes torn and some of the coloring rubbed from its plastic face and hair. 
Where'd you get that old thing? He's my dad's. There were two thumbtacks stuck into the toy, a blue one in the back of its head and a red one in its chest. What are those for? This one's slow, Lydia said, touching the blue pushpin. And this one's fast. She pointed to the red. Like controls? Did you make him into a robot? Lydia laughed. No, that would be silly. She ran a few steps in the direction the other children had gone, stopped, and turned back to Nell. Goodbye, Mrs. Newton. Nell waved. Ray started to follow. I don't think so, said Nell, placing her straining hand on her son's shoulder. Inside with you. The boy gave her another glower, but stomped back to the house. Fists clenched at his side. Nell turned to watch Lydia clamber over the fence at the other end of the drive and chase across the Wild family's yard in the direction the rest of the neighborhood children had scattered. The skewered G.I. Joe swung back and forth in her pumping fist. The blue one is slow. The red one is fast. The words haunted her only for the time it took her to find her son. He was waiting for her in the house, and the shouting that followed chased away every thought in her head except for the price of military school. She wouldn't think again of what Lydia had said until two days later, sitting down to have coffee with the girl's mother. I want to say again how very sorry I am for Ray's bullying. I never thought he had it in him, but I swear, lately it's just one thing after another. Emma Good was silent long enough to worry Nell. Then she said, I'm sorry, what? Nell touched the other woman's arm. Is everything all right? Emma shook her head. Yes, no. Something is wrong with Will. Terrible headaches and chest pains. I've tried to get him to go to the doctor, but men can be stubborn. Emma smiled, but it looked forced. I'm sure it's nothing. The conversation followed Nell home, and she thought about her own husband, stationed in Kuwait. She wasn't the kind of woman to fret, certainly not in front of Raymond, but there were times, long after the lights were out, and the neighborhood slumbered, that she would stare at her dark ceiling and run through the list in her mind of all the ways Thomas Newton might die. Then she would think of her own short life and wonder what would happen to Raymond if he lost them both. She was making such a list the night after she spoke to Emma. Terrible headaches and chest pains. Nell thought of a blue tack in a doll's head and a red one in its back. Sleep was a long time coming. The next morning, she called Emma to check on Will. He seems great, she said. I feel a little silly for worrying, but I worry all the time, Nell told her. It just means you care. Thank you for checking on us. Of course. I'm glad to hear he's better. She was looking out the window while she spoke, watching the kids chase a ball around her poor, abused lawn. Lydia and Ray were on the same team, passing the ball back and forth and playing as though the incident at the goalpost had never happened. It was just a game, Nell thought. An awful game, perhaps, but nothing more. She felt a little silly for worrying, too. Two days later, Will Good was dead. That afternoon, Nell ran into Beth Wild on the Good's front step. Beth had brought both a deli platter and a homemade lemon meringue pie. Nell glanced down at the crock of macaroni and cheese she carried, still warm from the oven, and felt inadequate. That smells delicious! Beth said. Nell wanted to dump the steaming pasta on the other woman's head, but said, Have you heard anything about what happened? Instead. Beth shrugged. I guess it was a heart attack. 
but I don't know many details. I think it happened really quickly. Robert told me Will was fine, and then he was just gone. Nell thought about a red pushpin stuck into a doll's chest. This one is fast. That's terrible, she said. Do you mind ringing the doorbell? Beth asked. My hands are full. Nell prodded the doorbell with her elbow, and the sight of Emma's face when she answered, crumpled like the tissues wadded in both her hands, made her foolish thoughts of dolls and thumbtacks evaporate. She and Beth spent an hour telling Emma everything would be fine, but Nell wasn't entirely sure she believed that was true. I thought he was okay, Emma told them. He said he was feeling better. A few days after the funeral, Nell brought over a plate of cookies. Come in, Emma told her. I was just going through some of Will's things. Who sent the lovely fruit basket? Nell asked. Beth, there are some chocolates too. Would you like any? I don't really care for chocolates. Nell smiled and felt immediately guilty. No thanks. I'm not much for chocolate either. Emma sat on the couch. There was an empty cardboard box on the low coffee table in front of her. Teetering piles of books and clothes were stacked around her. You know... You don't have to do all this right now, Nell said. I know, but I thought, I thought. Her words trailed away. She looked at Nell with shining, wet eyes. I don't know what we're going to do. Nell took her hand, but didn't have any words. She didn't know what they would do either. Can I help? She asked instead. She picked up one of the shirts, folded it, and dropped it into the box. Then she took up another. Emma leaned back into the couch and watched her work. Nell had half-filled the box when she found the G.I. Joe doll. Emma leaned forward and took it from her. Will had the whole collection of these. Sold a bunch. Kept this one. He always said it was too beat up to sell, but I think it was secretly his favorite. I saw Lydia playing with it the other day. Emma frowned. I hope not. Her father would have been furious if he'd known. He didn't like Lydia to touch his things. Maybe I was mistaken, Nell said, but she saw the pinprick hole in the back of the doll's head and knew that she wasn't. Emma put the toy in the box and stacked a book on top of it. I suppose it doesn't matter, she said. Nell rubbed the back of her neck. Her head was starting to hurt. Too much worry, too much tension. It's going to be okay, Emma. The other woman nodded, then fell into her arms and sobbed against her shoulder until Nell's shirt was damp. I'm sorry, she said. Don't be, Nell told her. It's okay. Emma dabbed at her eyes and snorted a humorous laugh. <laughs> I'm a mess. I... She frowned. Are you okay? You look a little pale. Nell waved her concern away. I'm fine, she said. A little headache. I'll just take a couple of aspirin when I get home. Are you sure? Positive. But on the walk home... Nell felt less positive. She needed a knot at the base of her skull. Her headache was becoming a real noggin buster. A voice called her name. Nell! She turned to see Beth carrying a pot of soup. She doing okay? Nell rubbed her neck. Yeah, Emma's strong, she said. She'll be okay. She left Beth and her soup on the goods doorstep and went inside her own house. Her vision had begun to turn black around the edges. Her forehead pounded like something inside wanted out. Ray and Lydia were playing on the floor in the living room. Hi, what are you kids doing? Lydia looked up and smiled. 
Hi, Mrs. Newton. We're playing Barbies. Barbies? Nell was more surprised to hear that her son was playing with dolls than she'd been to catch him with matches. Really? Ray held one up. Her blonde hair cropped short and colored black with a marker. Nell touched her own short, dark locks. There was a blue tack stuck in the Barbie's forehead. What's that? she asked. This one is slow, Raymond said. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that some of this story is based on truth. When I was uh, in fourth grade, we read the story of the Salem Witch Trial, and that weekend we tied Lisa from across the street to our basketball goal with a rubber hose and put some sticks underneath her. I can't say for sure she's a witch and can't tell you that any of our parents were ever cursed. At least not so you could prove. Hope you enjoyed the story. Ten Minutes in the Dark is written and produced by me, Don L. Hess. Editorial services provided by Pamela Evans. Technical consulting by Carrie Brandon of Brandon & Brandon, Inc. Music by Kadir Demir and Stanley Gervich. For more stories, visit donlhess.com, and that's Don with two N's, or go to 10minutesinthedark.com using the number 10 for additional podcasts.